So it's a proven fact that you know, 100% of business owners are going to exit their company someday. So the question is, you know, whether or not uh, you're going to exit on your terms or there's going to be some kind of life event, uh, whether death, disability, um, divorce, breakup, that's going to force to sell your company. Uh, that could have a major impact on value, on your legacy, and most importantly, you know, your family and your employees. So today, I thought it'd be very helpful if we kind of broke down and took a deeper dive into the exit planning process. And I'm very happy and pleased to have with us today, uh, Brian Kerrigan. Uh, Brian is a managing partner at Vision Growth, and he specializes in exit planning, helping clients maximize value uh, on their sale. So, Brian, welcome. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me, Keith. It's great to be here. Great. So, uh, the old adage is, when do you start planning for the sale of your company? And the answer is, when you start it, right? It is. I mean, we prefer that you know companies start in their infancy and be thinking about what their exit plan is. But as you and I know, the reality is, we're lucky if we get three, five to seven years to plan for this event. Right. So, you know, from a, from a, so when you, when you, you know, you you special. This is this is your life, right? You yeah. specialize in this whole area. Mm -hmm. So when you take on a new client, someone you approaches you, you get referred in by whoever, uh, or they call you up based on your reputation. Um, what are some of the key things that you initially focus on to kind of get a picture of what you know, what they've done, what mm -hmm. they where they are now, and what they really need to do? Uh, you know, over the next, like you said, three to five, seven years, because you want to get in there early. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what we do is we run a series of diagnostic tests. So, uh, one of them is the value builder score, which allows us to give the company a current valuation of what of what the company's worth. And that's helpful because a lot of business owners tend to overstate their, the worth of their business. And this kind of grounds us and gives us, sort of it, based on their profit levels for the past three years, what their multiple would be. But then it also gives us a score on eight key drivers that allows us to look at, you know, where, where are they going to have problems in the sales process? Are they too dependent on their owner? Are they too dependent on an employee? Is their cash flow poor? I mean, those, there's eight there's eight different drivers, but those are a couple examples of what we look at. And generally, what we're trying to do is kind of get the scores up so that we can get the multiple up. Right. So when you when you so you look at you so you get a baseline. Right. right? You say okay, you, uh, and we run into this a lot because a lot of our companies are you know low market companies. Uh, you know the owner. You know who owns the customer relationship. Right. Critical. Absolutely. Right. And so, and business owner has been going along. He's got, you know, he's got a diversified customer base, but it's he or she that's been driving this for right. the next, you know, the last 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. Mm. And you come in and you say, well, when you're ready to sell, this is going to be an issue. And they're like, they're surprised. Yeah. I mean, the reality is the more that the owner is away from the customers and not performing the service, the better the value of the company is going to be. And I think that's counterintuitive to a lot of business owners who've always been really engaged in the business. They've maintained most of the relationships. They typically don't have a really good management team in place that could take over for them. So, yeah, it is tough to get them to realize that them having all the relationships with the customers is a real problem when you go to sell. 
Right. So, you know, it's it's a natural thing because they started the company. It's mm-hmm. been their baby, the whole thing. They had this, you know, and they, depending on the size. And so you identified that one problem. Well, let's just talk a couple different problems, right? You identified that as an issue. And it's a common issue, frankly. Right. Right. Yeah. So how do you go about, you know, one's convincing the owner that, look, if you had a sales team in place or sell, even, even the back end, you know, sales administration behind it all, mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, this is going to take you from an X value to a Y value. Right. And, and how do you kind of help him or her, you know, implement a plan to over that time to bring up, you know, to create a team's approach to it, so to speak, because there's an investment. There is an investment. But before we get to that question, one of the things that we do is we do scenario planning. Okay. So we basically can adjust the profits of the company and and adjust the the scores that we're getting on the eight factors to actually show the business owner that it's worthwhile to make this change. But when it comes down to relationships, they need to start transitioning those relationships to someone else in the company. Because if they if their goal is to walk out the door with no earnout and you know be done with the company on on the day of the transaction, those relationships have to be housed somewhere. A, a ton of the value of the business is in those relationships, and if you lose those relationships, you're going to lose those customers, or you can't exit, or you can't exit. Right? I mean, if that, that bottom line is. Is that and we have a, a couple scenarios. We 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 just I think we we just actually just closed the company. We just sold it, and our owner had built up smaller business, nice business, thirty eight years, and they have the right buyer that had a strong sales team as well. So he has a short transition period, right? And it's like look, and he, that's what's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be out in a year. Now. That worked out well. Now we have another company where that we're not in the process right now, but the buyer pool is looking for that ownership group to stay on. And like, wait a second, that wasn't my plan. Right. You know, so it may not be the right buyer, although their value is much higher than the other other guy. Mm-hmm. But there's an investment he's going to have to make. This is a, a, owned by a couple brothers. Yeah. They're going to have both of them have to make. They have to make a two three year commitment. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to end up taking a much lower amount right. because of the fact that they own the relationships yeah. with the customers. What I find is it's kind of counterintuitive that you know you when you're three, five to seven years out, you want to be maximizing profits. But maximizing your profits is only one way to get an enhanced valuation. Sometimes you have to make an investment in things, infrastructure, people, management team that will eventually pay off in a higher multiple. So even if you even if your profits aren't necessarily going up because you're making these investments, your multiple is, and you get more bang for the multiple than you didn't necessarily necessarily do for the for the profits right because a buyer is going to come out and look at it and whether or not they have uh, a team that they can kind of slot in that can you know work into those customer relationships or operations whatever they're going to factor that into the EBITDA right you're going to say look Okay, you're a two million EBITDA company, but I got to bring in a COO, I got to bring in a CFO, mm-hmm. and you know I got to replace you. So your two million EBITDA to me is really only worth a million five right. or something, right? Yeah. So though we try to eliminate surprises, right, in that planning process. So you know, kind of kind of going back to your scoring, it's very interesting to me because you can kind of give what if scenarios. I can. 
right? So yep. you're sitting with an owner and say, look, you know, for every Dow you invest, you're going to get five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, you know, based on what your profitability is back right. down the road. Absolutely. And so when you show that to a business owner, because they're, you know, you're, they're paying you to help them get there. Mm-hmm. And what are the reactions, you know, you know, like, well, I don't really want to do that. Or like, wow. Right. It's pre- it's a pretty powerful reaction because, you know, you, let's let's say you're a two million dollar EBITDA company and you're at a five multiple. Right. And, and we're, we're going to hold the pro- the profits constant for this purpose. But let's say that we scenario plan and we say, OK, if we get more recurring revenue, if we get more of a management team, if we if we're not, we don't have a customer concentration issue. All of a sudden, our five multiple goes to an eight multiple and that company is worth significantly more. Uh, in the cases that you described, you know, you're going to have to make that investment in the CFO uh, and the COO if you want to maintain, you know, the multiple that you're going to get or enhance the multiple that you're going to get. So you may be losing some profit in the short term, but you may be gaining on the multiple multiple and gaining at a higher rate. Right. I mean, it's it. So. You know, it's it's interesting because we, I mean, I was just on the phone, um, you know, coming to the podcast with a potential client. I've been talking to this guy for like three or four years. And like he he has high expectations of what he wants. Mm-hmm. But he's like the chief cook and bottle washer. And I've been talking to him for three years. And I'll call him Jim. Mm. Right. I said, you know, in order to do what you want to do, you're right. going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And he says, I know. But that's three years down the road. He says, I'm going to have, if I, if I sell now, I'm probably going to get a five multiple and I'm going to have to stay on for three years. They're going to hold some back because I'm driving the ship. So I've been trying to talk to him about, you know, you know, transition, building a team, you know, is your family on board? And, you know, those are hard conversations and it's a struggle, right? To get someone, you know, to convince them that this is the right thing for you to do. I mean, so, I mean, so you, you, you paint a picture for them about and show scenarios, uh, but when you get some resistance, how do you, you know, what are some of the techniques you use to kind of break through to help an owner recognize that this is, this is an investment that's going to give you much more value and create a much better outcome for you from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. Once you're ready to go. I come at them, Keith, with the, the with the concept that I want to accomplish two things with them. I want them to have absolute freedom in retirement, meaning they can spend whatever they want, whenever they want. And I want them to be able to leave the legacy that they want to leave to their loved ones. So, and you know, once we know sort of what they're going to need to be able to live that lifestyle in retirement, plus what they want to leave in legacy for their children, we can back into the value of the company. And chances are that value is not there yet. And we have to work through a process to help them get to that value so they can realize what they want for their retirement and what they want for their family. So it's really about showing them, here's where you are now. Here's where you want to be, but here's the gap. And we got to work on closing this gap. And, you know, some of it's going to come down to, hey, we want to generate more profits. Let's have more sales. Let's minimize our expenses. Let's minimize our risk. But a lot of it is going to come down to that multiple. And the investments that you have to make in that multiple uh, will pay off at the end. And basically, we're able to show them through the scenario planning tool how it all works. Yeah, so... 
you're not like a, a quick fix, like a valuation one and done, right? You're no. there. That's it. You're in there for three, four, five, six, even seven years. Yeah. And you're, and you have measurement tools, right? And you said, look, this is what we want to do. A Gantt chart, whatever you want to call it, right? Just project schedules. Look, this is what we want to kind of accomplish yep. over this three months, this six months, this nine months, this 12 months. And then you start seeing some results from that. Right. And so you kind of adjust the score as you go forward. You know, how, how does that, from 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 how does that work for you? Because a business owner, he or she said, "Oh, it looks great," and then they buy into it. Then all of a sudden, you know how they are, right? I mean, everybody's busy. They're trying to run their company, and they're thinking about the next sale and whatever. And then, but they're not thinking about their exit. Right. And you're trying to rein them back in. And say, okay, we need to talk about this a little bit. You know, and how do you, I mean, do you get involved like from the operation people, like, like we're going to help you hire this person. We're going to do this. We're going to talk to make sure the proper tax planning, estate, all that stuff. How to, you know, give just like a, a high level view of, uh, of a scenario where, where you're working with somebody over say a three to five year. Their goal is it's today's 2023. Mm-hmm. I want to sell in 2028. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I learned early in my career is going in and giving advice to a business owner and then walking away means that you could go back in and give the same advice next year. So what we do is we create sort of a monthly or quarterly accountability check-in where we will actually take a look at the metrics that we have set up that they need to uh, that they need to work themselves up to to be able to get to the price that they want to get up to. Now, obviously, it's a process. We're not going to drive profits from $2 million to $5 million in, a, in one year, most likely. But we need to see a certain amount of incremental growth. You know, I want to see 25 30 35% growth on an annual basis in profits. Mm-hmm. And we're going to revalue that company every year. It's, you know, it's just, it's not, you don't, you don't have the cost of evaluation. You really do. We have a tool that will allow us to do that. It's a 13-minute questionnaire and you include your profits and the answers to some key questions and we'll revalue it and we'll see okay are we on track with where we need to be and if we're not on track with where we need to be then we got to think about whether we need to you know what are the obstacles that are getting in our way right Uh, it we totally focus that quarterly meeting on if we're achieving the goals let's continue to do what we're doing if we're not achieving the goals let's identify the obstacles and figure out how to solve for that and it, it could be those obstacles could be not 100% buy-in, right? Because right. you're dealing with family businesses like we do daily. Right. And you have three members bought in and one not so much bought in, right? Or one is into it. The other one's like, hey, you know what? I'm going golfing. I'll see you guys later, right? Right. It happens. It's life. Yep. So getting that other party to buy in you know, in a, in a method, in a way that uh, everybody's on the same page, sometimes not so easy, right? It, it's family dynamics are tough. Right. I mean, you usually have, you know, one, one sibling who's running the company, one sibling who's running SG&A functions. You have another sibling who might be working a job, but not really working. Just kind of there. Just right. there, yeah. kind of collecting a paycheck. And that's usually the one that causes you the most most trouble when you start to go through this because you got to figure out, you know, hopefully that's been reflected in the estate planning, the contributions that the various siblings are going to make to the operation and how they would profit on an eventual sale. But it's not always the case. Right. You could have three siblings that own a third 
Two could be very active in the business, one could not be, but they're still entitled to a third of the profits on the sale. Right. And that creates very hard feelings in a company. So you want to be in there three to four to five to six, seven years early. Yep. But in reality, you know, there's sometimes where, you know, people have been running and all of a sudden they pick up their head and they say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Right. And they come to where they come to us and say, we're ready to sell. And we look at it and we're, we're a very open, transparent firm. And we look at revenue trends, margin trends, customer concentration, who owns the, sell, the, the customer relationship, um, how deep is their management team, what, you know, where the owner sits. And we say, oh, based on this, you know, you're going to have to be X, Y, and Z. And this is kind of where the multi- we see a trading. Yeah. So, well, I'm looking for a little bit more, you know. So have you, is there situations where you've kind of come in, you know, with a shorter timeline? They said, look, maybe do some tweaks that you can kind of help with. Yeah, I think what we do is when we have a shorter timeline, we just go for the low-hanging fruit. What are the things that we can change quickly to be able to get that multiple higher? Right. Um, You're not going to have time to do a transformation of the company and totally change the way the company is managed or totally change the way the relationships are managed. But you can do some tweaks that will allow you to get to a better number, like if they come to me six months out. Right. So... Yeah, a lot of that could be just be more in just how they report. Right. Right. I mean, I know we're really deep into making sure our clients are the the, the the numbers they project, the numbers they present, the numbers they in the future during due diligence mm-hmm. can be, you know, need to be readily available and to you know, to the buyer. I mean, just because any kind of hesitation, any kind of time lag, you know, time is not your friend, right? And, they, and it also raises the skepticism bar. And they're like, you get nervous about, well, you know, they do, are these numbers really good? Is the inventory right? Mm-hmm. You know, how come I'm not getting them? And they may pull back. Right. You know, we've had situations like that where we said, okay, you need to bring someone in to kind of quarterback this and get that, get the financial, at least get the financials in order. Yeah. Right? So you have good current monthly financials, clean closes, so to speak, right? That's one aspect that that yeah. is critical. Record keeping is an absolutely critical component of this. I mean, I actually prefer to see some sort of reviewed or audited financial statements in the last two to three years, right. something that, you know, a stamp of approval on those. Now, obviously, if you're not working at a year-end cutoff, you're going to have interim statements, but, you know, have your accountants in there working with you on the interim statements to make sure that they're as clean as can be so that, the combination of the review and audit plus the accountant overseeing the actual process of calculating the interim numbers gives the, gives the buyer some level of confidence in those numbers. Because if the buyer doesn't have confidence in the numbers, the transaction's not going through. Exactly. And we, we've had, unfortunately, run those situations. Even though we, got good, we thought we got good numbers. Yeah. But, you know, Different quality, different firms, what they present, you know, sometimes on the face value is not what you, you when you get into details is not what you thought, right? Yeah. So, so th- that's, that's probably, you know, the, the financial piece is probably part of your credit score, right? You know, it is, it is. Absolutely. Are, they, are they internal numbers? Are they compiled numbers? Are they income tax basis yep. versus gap basis? Right. You know, we just went through, like I said, we just closed a deal. Our client was on an income tax basis of accounting. Now that's fine, but- the buyer is owned by a private equity firm. That's no way has to be gap. 
So there's a disclosure. Yeah. That you're going to have to rep in the contract why income tax basis, what are the differences between income tax basis and gap? And you're going to have to say, well, we don't do this, we do this, we, except for the following. Now, strategically, it was a great acquisition and the buyer moved forward. We didn't have to go back and recreate gap financials, but you had to disclose what the differences are. Yeah. The client's not going to know that. No, right. And then he's going to have to go to an accountant. An accountant may not be comfortable opining on the differences. So you may have to go out and get a a, a bigger firm that's going to come in there and you have to write a check to to kind of say, OK, here's the differences. So they can schedule out mm -hmm. and the disclosures why they're different from Gap. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. Yeah. Honestly, the most the most common situation that I run into is a good sized company that's working with a smaller accounting firm that doesn't have the horsepower to necessarily handle the gap accounting. Right. They can do it on an income tax basis. That's not a problem. But when it gets the gap, it ends up being over their head. So one of the things you have to evaluate as you go through this process is the quality of the accounting firm. And are they going to be able to establish that the numbers that they're providing are good numbers. They're good, solid numbers that can be relied on. I had an example a couple of years ago where a company pegged their inventory method 20 years ago and never and never moved it. Right. All right. So now now what's the, now what is the buyer thinking? I have no idea what this inventory is worth. Right. And they're going to discount it. They did. And the transaction went through, but it went through with a million dollar haircut. Right. I was going to say it's going to they're going to it's going to affect the valuation. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like what you're doing, to quote a metaphor from a buddy of mine, is an MRI and CAT scan on the company, every aspect of it. Yeah. Right? Versus like people, when people think exit plan, they think, okay, I got to get my taxes done, my financial done, and this done. No. You need to really look at every aspect of your company mm -hmm. from top to bottom and then weight it. Basically, on what's great, what's not so great, what needs, what's really needs to be improved on, and based on the timeline of where the owner is, he or she is in her exit plan, then you will adopt your plan to kind of hit the key areas, right. like you said, low hanging fruit, and then with the goal of creating value. Right. Right. So you know, this has been great. I'd love to have you come back and maybe talk about some real life examples of when you came in and what the difference was between, you know, when you started and when you exited. Yeah. It would, if you could come back, that would be great. And uh, really enjoyed you today and look forward to having you back again next uh, for our next podcast. All right. Great. Thanks for having me, Keith. All right. Thank you, Brian. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, my name is Keith D. I'm a president founder of Osage Advisors. Uh, this is our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. Uh, if you need to reach us, you can reach us on our website at osageadvisors.com. You can email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Or feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks again for uh, being here uh, today and have a great day. <laughs>